Hello, I'm Eugene Levy, and yes, I'm an actor. Now I said cappuccino. I'm here to talk to you about something very important. No, it's not about me or my career. I'm here to talk about subliminal messages in rock and roll music, or as it's simply known in some cultures, rock music. You see, for years, the government has been wisely coercing teenagers to buy products they normally wouldn't want just to get their money. Fact, kids don't have bills to pay. Fact, they don't pay taxes. But they do babysit and hold minimum wage jobs that earn them wads of cash as thick as, well, my body of work. But these kids today aren't dumb. They're not going to buy just anything. That's why the government has been planning small subliminal advertising suggestions in today's rock music. The results? We can now get these kids to buy just about anything. We can have them chasing a new trend every week. And that is good for the economy. And what's good for the economy is good for the country. So God bless the United States of America, the most ass-kicking country in the world. Come. Oh boy. Walking down the street. Meanwhile, I have the actual doing song in my head. Doing big pop culture satire okay. on all the 90s teens. It was like 2000. Hey, hey, it's Josie. Okay. And the two other pussycats. You didn't even da, get their ba, names? Da, ba, ba. Wow. And also Alan Cumming is there. Hi. <laughs> Everybody, um, I'm uh, Mickey Dolans, your, your host for, uh, oh boy, coming in hot and heavy this morning. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is, I think you'd be into it, the podcast about your, your problematic faves. I'm your host, Brandon Beck. And I'm your other host, Beth Scorzato. Our guest today is a, uh, a writer, an, an interneter, um, an exceptionally good DM, uh, Cam Diordio. Cam, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for both having me and for saying I'm a good DM. Uh, really happy to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm very excited for this episode. Despite Brandon's mixed messages up top, we are here to talk about Josie and the Pussycats, <laughs> um, which I am fucking ready to get straight into. But before that, we need to do things we're into this week. Brandon, do you have one? Because I sure haven't been consuming anything for two weeks. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so the thing that I am into this week um and is this is gonna it's surprisingly not the monkeys and in just doing a quick cursory scan i don't think the monkeys ever actually interacted with uh the thing i'm into this week which is the muppet show which has just popped off on uh the old disney plus yeah the original the original muppet show has now just shown up on disney plus which i i learned because I was just going about my life and suddenly received a text message from you about Roger Moore's episode of The Muppet Show. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. And, you know, that's one of the better ones that I've watched, because if there was anyone who was ever just made to be in the fucking Muppet Show, it was Roger Moore. Like, James Bond was just Muppet Show boot camp, basically. <laughs> just doing puns at the camera. Like, that's that's all The Muppet Show is. <laughs> I know we watched the Paul Simon one last night, and I was very alarmed because, uh, you know, 1981 Paul Simon just really looks big haunted doll energy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he... The boy from the boy. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, he looks like like the like the kid that a Decemberist song is about. <laughs> Didn't help that they kept dressing him like the model on a CPR poster. Yeah. Or like Steve from Blue's Clues. <laughs> <laughs> eh, slightly different. Not wide uh, enough stripes. Fair. It also doesn't help that he's approximately as tall as your average Muppet. <laughs> um, That's fair. But uh, the Muppet show really, really holds up. Like, I and I think I always sort of knew it would. Um, but uh, in the lead up to it dropping on Disney+, Plus, a lot of people on Muppet Twitter, because, yeah, I'm on Muppet Twitter, um, were worried that it w they were going to be like, 
like when Peacock dropped quote unquote all of SNL where you'd get like episodes that are 20 minutes long because all they could clear is three sketches. Mm. Um, it's remarkably intact. There's something like 98% of the show is is up there. There's a couple episodes that are missing. Uh, hold on. Yeah. There's a difference between holds up and intact. You said you were worried it wouldn't hold up, and then you talked about everybody being worried that it wasn't intact. There's a difference. Oh yeah, no, those are those are those are two separate thoughts. Especially because some of them, as we noted last night, some of them for sure have content warnings up top about like this was created at a time where it was more okay to do really racist stereotypes. Here you go. Right, 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 right. Which is well, and that was that was part of the thing that people were also sort of worried about is that like Disney was just gonna cut a bunch of shit. Um, but they've they've left the episodes seemingly intact. I, I I've I've seen a list somewhere of like the couple things that are missing, and it amounts to like a dozen sketches over the five seasons and like three episodes, none of which are like ones that anyone's ones. dying for. Yeah, but like I mean, of all the things that you would think would have a content warning on. Uh... On streaming, the Muppet Show wasn't where I was expecting it, but there it is. Oh yeah, like up top of some of the episodes, there's like a really long disclaimer about how like there may be uh, portrayals of certain groups that is could be considered offensive, and like please understand that Disney Plus does not support these things, and it was created at a different time. And if you don't, and then it like has a countdown, so you can like not watch it if you want. Yeah, Kermit's Wild Child period, I just could never jive with. Yeah, which like I'm I'm glad that they I'm glad that Disney did that rather than, uh, you know, kind of cutting them out to you know pretend like it never happened. Oh um, yeah, I'm not saying I disagree with the decision. I just think it's funny. And like, I think I I think I read that there's about I think a dozen episodes that have that uh that warning on them, and some of them is just like like I watched the Johnny Cash episode, which was really good. Um, it had a, a content warning up top because there is uh, a couple Confederate flags in it, which I wasn't oh fully pre- prepared for, but like, that's, that's the content warning on that one. But whereas like we, we watched, also the, watched Kenny, the Kenny, yeah, we Rogers, watched the Kenny Rogers night. episode last night, which, uh, opens with some really uncomfortable stereotypes and then it just gets worse. Yeah. It opens with some, uh. Some uncomfortable uh, stereotypes of uh, Middle Easterners uh, digging for oil in his room. And then there's like a whole sketch that just like becomes like a jungle fever thing, which is weird. Yeah, set to lime in the coconut. So the thing, the funny thing is, though, that none of the racism has anything to do with Kenny Rogers. He's yet to actually even be in a sketch by the time we we stopped that episode. Well, he would have known to fold them in that scenario. Yes, I mean, that, that's true. We actually we we didn't get to that point in the episode. He does do the gambler uh, with a bunch of like those creepy human Muppets in like a oh realistic stagecoach. A lot of creepy human Muppets in the 80s. Yeah. Every episode, some wildly uncomfortable cursed Muppets. Yeah. Creepy human <laughs> Muppets, creepy human baby Muppets. Yeah. There was on the Paul Simon episode, there were some very unfortunate baby Muppets singing Baby Driver. Yeah. The, uh, which I was surprised to learn that Ansel Elgort was a Muppet. But, um, the, I wasn't. The Paul Simon episode is so weird. It's true. Because, like, <laughs> Unlike every other episode where the guest is a is a musician or a, a singer or or whatever, they just do his songs. But they, whenever he's on screen, there's never like a a gag to it. It's just Paul Simon playing one of his songs and like seven or ten Muppets watching respectfully, <laughs> just like sitting quietly and taking in the song. It's it gives the whole thing a really weird really weird vibe like Paul Simon never seems like he knows exactly where to look it's it's the the whole episode is is deeply surreal yeah sometimes I'm like oh he's definitely just making direct eye contact with the puppeteer below him yeah or like uh we watched the Gene Kelly episode last night which is really good that one was really cute and it was very funny because the whole premise of the episode was Gene Kelly showed up because Kermit invited him and he was just like, oh, I was just here. I, was, I thought it was just here to watch. You didn't ask me to be a guest star. And so like the whole episode is Kermit basically like trying to trick Gene Kelly into doing a number. <laughs> yeah. 
Like he's he's never on. He's only on stage like the stage at one point. The rest of it is just it'll cut to him just sitting right off wings. stage. Yeah, just like eating a snack and laughing, just like delighted, just having the time of his life. <laughs> the dream, so good. At, at, and at one point, he does a duet with with Miss Piggy. And one one of my favorite things about about watching the Muppets is just like sort of widening the shot a little bit to just sort of think about like okay what what was going on like practically and technically around this and it's so funny to think that like okay there's movie star Gene Kelly and Miss Piggy doing just like a very close very sweet duet and then you start to think that like a foot down off camera Frank Oz's head is just in Gene Kelly's crotch <laughs> I mean you think about that that's that it that, fair that is that is the sort of thing I would wind up thinking about. I was mostly thinking about how I like the way that Miss Piggy was portrayed in these uh like 80s episodes a lot more now I think after Frank Oz and Jim Henson the characterization of Miss Piggy kind of got lost and just became shrill like not in touch with reality woman when yeah. you watch some of these old ones she's like the straight woman in in like the vet hospital and like pigs in space like she's the one who's just like oh my god i'm surrounded by these men and they're all stupid yeah. like like she doesn't she's not as much of a joke she she has like an actual personality she has like an actual role in the like performing troupe that is the muppets show like in a way that i really appreciate compared to a lot of more modern portrayals of her yeah, and it's it's interesting to watch how those characters evolved over the course of, of the series. Like Gonzo, who basically just started off as like essentially a background Muppet, uh, over the like first couple seasons was this like weird little sad sack who then kind of blossomed into the, you know, daredevil genius that we all aspire to be today. <laughs> Yes, yes. I mean, he was a daredevil genius in the movie. Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky's saying it's time for us to move on. <laughs> the other daredevil genius. Yeah, the other, the other daredevil genius, Kentucky Trash Cat. <laughs> she is a daredevil genius. The boy is in here somewhere. I think he might be in my suitcase. I can't find him. Um, but she's mad that I locked her out of the bedroom, even though if I locked her in here, she would also be mad. So, yeah. you know, cats. Last thought on, on The Muppet Show. Um... As we all know, canonically, uh, Muppets uh, caper is mostly Charles Grodin directly trying to fuck Miss Piggy. Um, the opposite happens in the Roger Moore episode where Rod- where Miss Piggy spends an entire sketch aggressively coming on to Roger Moore. I mean, who wouldn't? It, fair. Um, He's been to the moon. Yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> um, never pretended to be a Japanese person. Um, but the sketch ends no, with... No, he didn't pretend to be... That was a Connery movie. Yeah. But the sketch ends with um, him being like, I'm sorry, Miss Piggy, I have a date. Um, and it's just that other female pig character that's like around <laughs> when they need one that's not Miss Piggy. Um, so yeah, the Muppets have always been freaky, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the Muppets are absolutely a, a show for adults. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> One million percent. They're a show about adult. I mean, we talk about this whenever we talk about the Muppet movie, that the, the Muppets are adults. Yeah. Like, we think about Sesame Street, and we think about, like, it being a property for kids, but you don't think about the actual characters themselves, and the Muppets themselves are very much adults. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rolf is, like, 45. Just an old blues man. Ah, oh, he's 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 the best. Um, But, yeah, so The Muppet Show on Disney Plus is the thing I'm into this week. Who wants to go next? Um, I can go. I actually do have one. I, I haven't really gotten deep into it, but um, uh, Nadia, who won the Great British Bake Off a couple seasons ago, has another new Netflix show out. She had one last year, and she's got another one uh, that just dropped, and it's just it's very good and soothing and makes me very happy. <laughs> oh, nice. I've watched I watched some of them in the background during my brief uh, lunch breaks on set. Uh, anyway, it's very soothing, very good. She clearly really enjoys what she's doing. She's a delight to watch and listen to. And uh, the show also features 
different bakers from around uh, the UK that are like special that specialize in different things. And um, I I have both noticed and appreciated that it is a very diverse range of bakers. It's not just a bunch of old white dudes, which you can often get in cooking shows. Um, Fair. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really into it. Check out check out her new one. I think it's not Nadja Eats. I can look it up really quick. Oh, so it's a new it's a new show, not just a new season of her. Yes, it's a new show. It's a different show. It's not a new season of the same one. Yeah, this one, Nadja Bakes, is her is her new one. And what was the old one called? The first one was Nadja's Time to Eat. Yeah, Nadja's Time to Eat was more like cooking show. Like, yes, there was baking in it. But it also had to do with like being able to just like cook stuff out of what's in your pantry and like cooking on a budget. And like she like did all the and it was also shot pre-COVID. So it was also like she got to like visit the like um literally anywhere. Yeah, she got well, she got to visit like the the Heinz factory. I was going to um, ask, yeah, this is the show with the bean ladies, right? Yeah, with the bean ladies, yeah. And, like, a bunch of other stuff. Like, and it was really cool. So, like, this is this version, this one was, like, clearly shot during lockdown. Um, and, like, they're aware of that. And, like, all of – so she never, like, interacts with anybody. But um, it's very exclusively, like, a baking show. And, like, it's just very clear how much she loves cooking and, like, how much – she loves what she's doing and like you even see like some behind the scenes stuff of her like sharing with the crew and stuff and it's just like it's very sweet and delightful and like she clearly really loves what she's doing and that makes her very interesting to watch that's awesome i'll have to check it out yeah the the one episode you showed me of her of her other show was was really enjoyable yeah yeah she's delightful Nice. She's very small. It's very it's very cute cuz sometimes she'll just be like I need stools everywhere. I'm very short. <laughs> How do you spell uh Nadia N A D I Y A. Gotcha. Perfect. Not yeah. not ever a spelling of that I would have have guessed. Yeah, Nadia Hussein. She won Great British Bake Off 2 seasons ago. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Was and that was that was in the the uh the Noel Fielding era, correct? It was. Okay. Yes. I've seen a few of those episodes, and I deeply love them. Yeah, he's um such a bizarre choice for yes. that show, but it works, especially now that it's him and um Matt Lucas, Matt, Matt Lucas, who are just like two weirdos, just fucking in a, in a different show than everybody else. Yeah, but it works. Like when it was just Noel and uh, uh, Sandy Tosvig and Sandy, yeah, like that was one She's thing. She's also it was like... a comedian, but she was more grounded than he was. Whereas with him and Matt, it's just like uh, two dudes on their own planet as a baking show exists around them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's like if you just uh, would occasionally cut to the Mighty Boosh during during Master Chef. Kind of. What about you, Cam? Is there anything you're into this week? Yeah, uh, I've been playing a lot of Hollow Knight, but uh, most recently I started rereading Black Hole by Charles Burns. It's like okay. this, uh, if you're not familiar, it's this like incredible heavy-inked body horror graphic novel comic. It's kind of like about how as teens we're all little freaks who are disgusting to ourselves and others. <laughs> uh, like, it's just, I don't want to say too much without, like, that might spoil it. Only as teens? Well, yes, of course. This is mostly focused on teens. It's like... Uh, Without spoiling too much, like, there's an STD sweeping through this school that is, like, making people become grotesque and weird and monstrous. Uh, and it's really well done. Like, it's got, like, woodcut heavy inks. It's, like, really, really solid. Oh, cool. Ooh. I'm so into, like, woodcut shit. Hell yeah. Like, that, that like, style of art. Ugh, it's, it's really cool. It's a thing I can't do, but I'm very impressed by. <laughs> Yeah, it came out across like I think the space of, like a decade. It's 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 pretty big, but it's not as big as you might think from that. <laughs> oh, nice! He took the time to get it right. So, speaking of comic books, there you go. There's a transition. Babe. I was I was gonna say that's a that's a good one. That's a that's a. I mean, I'm hold on. Let me. Th I'm sure I can think of a, of a more forced one. I'm sure I can think of a much more forced one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can think of a way to ruin it. But anyway, uh, so we are here today to talk about Josie and the Pussycats, primarily the movie. But you have also uh, worked with Josie and the Pussycats in a writing capacity, correct, Cam? Yes, yes. I uh, co-wrote the Josie and the Pussycats comic uh, relaunch from 2016 to 2017 when Archie was like relaunching their whole line. Uh, it was. Co-writing with Marguerite Bennett, my uh, friend and former housemate, uh, and then kind of taking more of the lead for issues 
Six through nine. Nice. Well, they're great. I have them. They're here on my shelf. I've read them Thank all. Thank you so much. I'm glad you appreciate them. <laughs> I liked them very much. I'm a big comics person. I also like Marguerite. Also very much. Lovely. Like Margaritaville? Yes. No. Like, although spelled differently. But spelled differently. No, but she was, uh, when I was at DC, she was doing some of the digital first stuff with them. Nice. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. She's she's lovely. She's great. Fantastic. Cannot recommend living with Riley enough. <laughs> well there you go um yeah so you also kind of have like a unique uh, a unique view on this property but of course that was all much later after the the movie Josie and the Pussycats which came out in I want to say 2000 I think 2001 came in 2001 and is oh god I'm trying to figure out how to do this movie justice to people who have never seen it before. Yeah. Do you have any ideas? Because it's it's like it's it's a it's a 2001 teen movie, and yet it's very not. Oh yeah. If you've seen Hypernormalization, think about that, but like make it really fun. Uh, like uh, <laughs> it's you know. Kind I did of spend like, most of the movie going, "Don't normalize this." So sick of things being normalized. Uh, but yeah, no, like don't normalize you know, Alan Cumming murdering Breck and Meyer. Frank Lamb's sick of him doing it. Uh, He's got to (laughs) stop. He can't keep getting away with it. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's, the casting is wild. The plot is wild. How anyone greenlit this movie. All the things about this movie that just, I'm like, how did this movie get made? You mean this PG-13 critique of capitalism that opens with a song about butt sex? Didn't seem like it was going to be like a big, broad commercial success to you? Yeah, right? It's um, it's wild. I mean, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It did horribly. No. In the box yeah, office. It did. it did very badly. It did absolutely terribly. But then it picked up this huge cult following, um, which was really cool. I saw a couple years ago for the, uh, I don't know, I guess 15th anniversary, um, they did a release of the soundtrack on vinyl, which is absolutely like 10 out of 10. All the songs are done by Letters for Cleo. Um it comes with oh, a du jour seven inch. It does come with a du jour seven inch, but that's not the point. But um, <laughs> the songs are like really good in this movie. Um, and I know all of them. And one of them was my ringtone for a long time. But they, uh, the writers were there. Uh, and there was like an interview with them beforehand. And uh, somebody asked them like, like what the like what the fuck <laughs> like how did how did this movie get made and like it wasn't and they they talked about they were like yeah like we were really proud of it and like we thought we were saying something really smart but then like it was just like a huge flop and like that was a bummer but then like slowly all these people kind of like came together and got the message and like here we are doing this like a huge thing in the ace hotel 15 years later for our movie that made like three dollars <laughs> yeah yeah, it's kind of like the last action hero in that way, where like this movie is like, isn't all of this stuff like really absurd? And then America was just like, I don't, I don't see how that's true. <laughs> and then eventually they're like, oh no, yeah, that was all fucking bonkers. Yeah, it, it, it's it was really surprising to me how how relevant a lot of the stuff that like in a vacuum could look really over the top, like that there's like Target logos all over everything, but but it's like. If you just look out, it's probably the movie with like the most product placement per scene. And and it was all fr- it was all free. I I looked in the Wikipedia. None of it was paid for. Yeah, I know that was part of the the joke of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So many of the like at the time, so many critics and audiences were like, "Wow, they like really sold out with all this product placement." It's like, how could you think this was done in earnest? Like beyond like all the Target logos, when they fly into uh, New York, there's like these golden arches like astride the Manhattan skyline. <laughs> Like it's like yeah when they arrive in fake New York just quote unquote the city yeah. um yes yeah it's just like the commercialism is like blatant and like it's so weird because like that was the point like if you watch this movie I I guess maybe if you go into it not realizing what it is it seems like what the fuck why is all this stuff here but like <laughs> if you're watching the movie with any like critical eye towards what it's trying to say to you like it's very obvious why all this product placement is here like that's part of the message <laughs> yeah 100 and it's yeah uh, so uh for those who don't know despite josie and the pussycats being uh you you may know josie and the pussycats from you know the 60s cartoon and the comics um and in 2001 for some reason even though it was not a great time for archie someone sold the property and they decided to make a movie of it. Uh, it stars Rachel Lee Cook as Josie 
and uh rosario dawson as um mel valerie. no valerie and then tara reed is mel giving a fucking masterclass performance look tara reed has had some issues in her personal life but like you can't play that stupid without knowing what you're doing she is actually a brilliant comedian and she's married to carson daly at the time of this and he's got like a weird cameo where he tries to kill her and it's so funny yeah yes actually in that same scene uh where like she knocks him off of the the risers or whatever to defend herself when she turns to a cardboard cutout of matt damon's like now you can get into and i looked it up later because i was like i wonder if there was anything ever there you know and it I saw like some like gossip story that said like that same year, but later after the movie had come out, she had made a pass at Matt Damon at like some celebrity softball game and he had not been having it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. You DM that to me, uh, yeah. but I got it in like the middle of the night and just like, wasn't fully able to process all the yeah. levels. So that, That's unconfirmed allegedly, but uh, it's, it's funny <laughs> to think about like, it's funny to think about like, Oh, she saw that she had acted that was like, you know what? Maybe. <laughs> That whole scene has has the same energy as like the Bill Murray Chevy Chase scene in Caddyshack, where like it just feels like it's about something completely unrelated to the movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So so the promise of this movie basically is you know Josie and the Pussycats they're your local Riverdale band nobody gives a fuck about them and then um the world's like number one big boy band du jour who <laughs> also a just hilarious casting choice. All the members yeah. of DuJour. Oh it's it's Seth Green, Brecken Meyer, um, the guy who plays Turk, uh, Donald Faison, is that his name? Yeah, Donald Faison. And then I don't know who the fourth guy is. I've never known who the fourth guy is, but he's clearly the only one of them that they could get for more than an afternoon. Yeah. Because he's the only yeah. one who comes back and has lines at the end. Yeah, there's not a full body cast. A full body yeah. cast with like a feather boa or a flame decal. Or like a hat. Yeah. Yes. And so so they they crash near Riverdale um because they start questioning. Um they they hear this like Mr. Movie phone voice um underneath their track while they're working on mixing it and they ask their producer Alan Cumming who uh, was uh, always been a Broadway star, never really been a movie star, but for some <laughs> reason is in this movie. Um uh, like what's going on and so he literally like abandons the plane and it goes down so now they need a new band and he like happens to literally almost run Josie and the Pussycats over in the street and just signs them I, uh, I really love when he goes to ask for the plane to be crashed and he just goes into like his little walkie talkie or whatever drive the Chevy to the levee <laughs> like yeah he's like yeah put the Chevy in the levee and then they, they, they abandon ship and then, like, there's this whole thing, and it's just about them, like, rock Josie and the Pussycats rocketing to fame in one week, and like, people questioning or not questioning that. And like, Parker Posey gives a master performance as like God a super Posey. weird record executive. Like, just completely the unhinged. layers to this movie. The more I try to explain it, the more I'm just like, I can't explain this movie. <laughs> Brandon had never seen it before, and I made him watch it the other night, and I was like, you have to be at least a little bit drunk when you see it, otherwise you're going to take it too seriously, and it won't be good. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'd had like I'd had this movie built up a lot over the years, because I think I'd, I'd been hearing that, like, oh no, Josie and the Pussycats is, like, secretly really fucking good since, like, late high school, maybe, early college, um, and had just never gotten around to seeing it. So I was a little bit worried that it wasn't going to like live up to the hype or wasn't going to be as like, you know, laser specific a satire as it actually is. But no, it, it, it is uh, a wild fucking ride yeah. that feels more relevant now than ever. Extremely. I really loved it. Uh, I, f- I first watched it in college myself and like, I didn't catch it in theaters, but yeah, like no one did. Oh, I did. Beth did. I was, uh, I mean, I took Spanish in high school, so I was surprised by the the flexibility of the French language. Du jour being able to mean hygiene, friendship, yeah, family, friendship, crash positions, yeah. very famously. <laughs> That's such a good joke. Oh man, I, I love mean, du God, jour. Seriously, the song does open with a song. Called, the the movie opens with them singing a song called "Backdoor Lover." I made a du jour T-shirt for my and uh, my New York Comic Con was like four days after the first issue dropped. And I was going to be on a panel there, like my first panel as like a comic book writer. So I like, had a DuJour t-shirt made to wear to it, which I'm still very proud of. <laughs> nice. That rules. 
actually oh wait there it is i knew i had it on my shelf i just found it finally the book it's right there i had a bunch of the single issues too but i cut them up and i i put them all over one of my business card cases i have a whole business card case made out of the uh, art that's awesome audrey mock is amazing oh yeah how did you discover this this movie and and why do you think it it resonated with you so so deeply to the point where you have now written the characters yeah uh well i think like I know it was around the time I was in college, so in the 2007 to 2011 zone. Uh, and I can't remember if it was my theater friends at college or my theater friends from home during a break. Uh, but some, It was definitely some, theater friends, though. I can guarantee yes, that. Yes, 100%. Some sort of dorks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some cadre of dorks. Uh, yeah, for sure. Showed me this movie, and they, you know, they talked about like how like it was a very fun satire and like was you know smarter than people gave it credit for. It was like the same people who would have shown me mystery science theater and that kind of thing. Um, sure. And yeah, I really, really liked it. I thought it was really smart. The same people who spent uh, the early 2000s insisting on watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail at every cast party? Bleh. No, that was just me. <laughs> Mine were nice. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when you're in a class of 67 kids, <laughs> branch out, diversify your assets. Brandon had a really small class too. Yeah, my my class was like 125 of us, and we were like big for my school. Yeah, like uh, I I use this metric to explain to people pretty regularly. The practice baseball field was baseball field out of play line, electric fence for cow field. That's the kind of situation we're dealing with. <laughs> uh, so so it was the field that Dujour crashed in. Yes, that was where they drove the Chevy to. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and then like the smells like teen spirit line later when they're like getting the alt girl taken away. Uh, but yeah, no. Um, and so like I'd really loved the movie and uh, also had like I grew up with the cartoon to a degree. Like it was on like Boomerang and like Cartoon Network occasionally. Um, and so I had been interested in writing comics and I'd been, you know, sort of around the edges of that world for a bit. And yeah, uh, we can talk about that if we want later. But yeah, no, it was really, really awesome uh, loving this movie and then getting a chance to interact with it. And definitely we were trying to keep some of the heritage of that movie in the, the, the thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing about the – so the original – the like original, original Josie and the Pussycats, of course, was like just like everything, a spinoff of Archie mm -hmm. and like the Archie world and – it was it was cute, but it was I mean, as much as I was, you know, ragging on Brandon's making comparisons to the monkeys earlier, it really wasn't much different. It was just animated. And that was like a, a type of thing you yeah. did back then, like teens in a rock band having lightly comedic adventures. Yeah, they're like Scooby Doo's doing great. Let's do something like that, but with music. Yeah, pretty much. So then, like, that's most people's association with Josie and the Pussycats. That was kind of like the heyday of it as a property, and then it like really didn't do much. And then this movie came out, <laughs> which yeah. was like such a wild turn from any of the Archie properties to begin with, um, that had like ever been portrayed in another media. Um, and it's just like it was so weird because it was a brand that definitely had like all of this like name recognition. Like people knew what Josie and the Pussycats were, but they didn't know what Josie and the Pussycats was going to be. Yeah, no one really associated Archie Comics with Rye Satire in 2001. Uh, yeah. Which is like totally a brand decision they were free to make, uh, but definitely like probably contributed to people not understanding that like what they were going for. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm really struggling to think of like another example in pop culture of like a similar thing happening of like a kind of benign uh, property getting like totally turned into this different weird thing, and then kind of morphing back into what it originally was after. But like it's such a, it's such a uniquely weird case. Yeah, and then of course we got the return to dark with Archie. Oh, yeah. The girls, yeah. The Josie and the Pussycats are in Riverdale. Oh, they are? Yeah. They were originally in Midvale, but they're in, like, in, like, original canon, and we're getting all nose-up glasses. But, like, they're in Riverdale in the movie. They're in Riverdale in the most recent comics. Oh, I, th I, thought, you, I thought you meant Riverdale the show. No, they are in the Riverdale show. Oh, okay. Yes, they are in the Riverdale show. What a journey that show is. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I've watched most of Sabrina, but I haven't watched all of Riverdale. Um... 
I did too much jingle jangle at a party once, and I just can't go anywhere near Riverdale now. Uh, if you end up watching anything from Riverdale, I would recommend watching the really ridiculous scene where Cole Sprouse's Jughead is starts a monologue with "I'm weird, okay." Uh, and then he gets into it, talking about how he's an alt kid and no one will ever understand him because he's sad. Uh, Jughead's like, we live in a society. Like, do you know why I wear this hat? Anyway, uh, it's wild. Uh, Cole Sprouse is also a weird person, but like very openly and it's very funny. He's just out there living. <laughs> he's just out there. He's just out there living, vibing, getting in, getting in like joke fights on Twitter with his twin, which is very funny to me. The best use of a twin in 2021, I feel. Oh, yeah. Especially one who also was an actor. They were both child actors, and now his brother's just like, I own a brewery. Bye. And Cole <laughs> Sprouse is just out here being Jughead and doing weird shit. I love that. Is is Riverdale Jughead asexual the same way that uh, Mark Wade Jughead is? No, he is not because he hooks up with Veronica a bunch, I think. He's dating Betty for a while, and then I, I've honestly fallen a little behind. But he was dating Betty for a long time. Uh, and like, yeah, he was he was he was okay. in a relationship with her. Yeah. yeah, no, he's not asexual in the way that the comics one is. Okay, because yeah. that, that I I always found that a fascinating choice in in uh, in that series. He's, he's burger sexual. Let's be real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's burger sexual, just like Wimpy from Popeye. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Speaking of casting choices, like. Especially, I think another reason this movie really caught everyone off guard is because, like, I'm a huge fan of Rachel Lee Cook and Rosario Dawson, and I mean, I already said I think Tara Reid gets underrated for her performances, but, like, it was, again, 2001, so, like, Rachel Lee Cook is just coming off She's All That, 99, and, like, is very much known as, like, a teen movie star, and so, like, all of the casting choices of this movie, like, telegraphed it being like a normal teen movie like it being another just like teen rom-com about this girl band like girl power whatever and then it turns out that it's this like deep satire of commercialism which we've we've kind of mentioned in passing but haven't like really gotten into yeah let's let's uh let's get into it yeah i mean the thing about this movie is ultimately I, I kind of talked about it a little bit when I was talking about the premise of DuJour, but you ultimately realize that this, it's a movie about subliminal messaging, which was the first time I had ever heard of that in 2001. Um, like most of what I know about subliminal messaging comes from my like learning about it in Josie and the Pussycats <laughs> and then going and like looking up shit about it. An educational film. Listen to I Think You'd Be Into It. <laughs> right? I love that it's the movie phone guy. Yeah. How'd you get Mr. Movie Phone? You slept with him, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. And so there's another thing, too. Parker Posey's character, while also, I think, a brilliant piece of satire, is just, like, especially every time I watch it as an adult, um, I'm just like, oh, like, I get what they were trying to say, but also it it comes so close to, like, being a really broad and like good satire calling out like pop culture and like trends and stuff but then at the end just like takes a left turn and really misses the mark uh <laughs> with Parker Posey's character of just you know the whole the whole movie is about like being yourself and and like not buying into commercialism and everything and then at the end you basically learn that like she has a lisp and was like always considered ugly and like he's in alan cummings like actually an albino and he's got like a big like belly and like that makes them both the bad guys yeah like it's it spends the whole movie like trying to be like be be your own person and it's okay to like do what you want and blah 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 but also like don't don't be unattractive or weird like she spends her whole time like the whole movie like obsessively talking about like her weight and how much other people weigh and what she looks like and blah 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 and it's like this whole other darker level of commentary with her character that i just don't feel like they stuck the landing on in mm -hmm. a way that like when I watch it as an adult, I'm like, oh, this movie is like why I like had issues. <laughs> like <laughs> Damn. Yeah, like I not this movie, but like the I way that like we that. treat women in movies. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I feel like I feel like they might have been going for something that is 
I, I think that they, I think that they did fuck up the landing, and I'm wondering if they were trying to do something smarter than what they ended up with, you know, in that regard. Yeah. I wonder if they were trying to say something along the lines of like their refusal to accept themselves is what led to this, but it still makes it seem like their albinoness or their lisp is what led to them being evil, which is a very bad thing to which yeah. is like bad like yeah. it's like i can almost see how you're trying to make the commentary of like bullying people can make them bad but like they just don't quite stick the landing on those two characters in a way that's like really uncomfortable after the rest of the movie is like such a spot on yeah like if they could have fleshed out more like oh like these people decided they wanted to be the ones setting the trend so that way they could like control the culture and make the culture actually care about them something like that some actual like fleshing out of that idea so we're not just left with only that bare badness yeah yeah it's certainly implied but it's not really like mm, yeah it's not hit hard enough to especially for a movie that's so self-aware <laughs> i mean this movie is so meta within like i think it's like the first 20 minutes or something like uh there's a there's uh a part with alex i think where somebody says why are you even here and she says well because i was in the comics yes <laughs> like yeah. this movie is so meta and self-aware so it's just like disappointing that it doesn't stick the landing on those characters yeah we tried very hard to include a line in the comic for alexandra saying someone asking her why she's here and her being like why well, i'm in the movie but it didn't end up working but yeah i obviously i really love that line i would have appreciated the i would have laughed so hard cam i Thank would have you. been one of the 10 people to get that joke <laughs> it means a lot it's, i love a good joke that's for exactly 10 people yep no wonder you love josie and the pussy gets the comic i do uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm married to Brandon. It's fine. Yeah, exa exactly. Yeah. I am, if anything, a human joke for 10 people. That's why he likes my DMing. Uh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's currently tweeting jokes about the Muppet Show starring Peter Falk. While we're on this, I can see him on Twitter. I mean, I'm the listening. Man loves Peter Falk. Which is also a joke specifically for me and no one else. Mm -hmm. Actually, hold on. Columbo's the only other thing I've ever seen that has a whole episode about <laughs> Blue Little Messaging. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. There's one whole episode about a dude that, like, cuts subliminal messages into ads, and, like, that's his job. And that's how he, like, got the guy that he murdered to, like, leave the leave the theater so that he could murder him because he played this video, uh, like, with subliminal messaging about how thirsty the guy was. So he got up to get some water. <laughs> Amazing. One more thing. <laughs> I feel like there's a big subliminal messaging scare for a couple of decades there, but I couldn't really pinpoint it historically for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely was probably part of the, like, satanic panic group. Oh, yeah. It definitely goes back to, like, back-masking shit on Zeppelin albums. Yep. Or the, like, uh, Paul is dead shit. Oh, yeah. Thinking about it, the movie that this most reminds me of, um, having now had a few days to, like, fully process everything <laughs> I saw... This movie, this movie reminds me so much of Down With Love, which only came out a couple years later, which is another one of those movies that on its face and from the way it was marketed, it looked like it was just your sort of generic kind of like rom-com. 60s rom-com. Yeah, 60s rom-com. But it winds up being this like complete deconstruction of the genre and like the inherent sexism in it and like... If you've never seen Down with Love, it's it's, it's one of my favorite great. movies. It 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 owns and was the reason I thought Peyton Reed would be a good director for Ant Man. Also has a great soundtrack. Oh yeah. Well now I doubly have to check it out. All right. So speaking of the soundtrack, again, uh Josie and the Pussycats album absolutely slaps, has no right to be as good as it is. Uh uh, like I said, all the songs were performed by Letters from Cleo, um, which they performed them live when I went to see them at the Ace Hotel, and it was very, very good. Uh, the music of this movie slaps so hard. It has no reason to slap this hard. It's so, so good. They brought together, like, so many cool people. Like, obviously, Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo sang, like, all of the Josie stuff and, uh, like, was really, really good. And I I saw uh, 10 Things I Hate About You before I saw this, so that's how I was like, oh, it's her. Um, but, uh yeah, and then, like, they had Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne in, like, producing and doing a bunch of stuff there, too. Right. Uh, and, like, some other, like, big people. Yeah, like, uh, Adam Schlesinger wrote one of, I think it was, like, Pretend to be Nice. Uh, but, yeah, like, there's so there were so many cool people, like, this, uh, this R&D producer who I'm not very familiar with, but apparently, like, it's kind of a big name called Babyface, who ended up working with Fall Out Boy based off of 
this album. Nice. Uh, yeah, just like random like people who are like really talented, just like doing stuff in the background to like make this album wildly slap for this movie that like no one really ended up seeing unfortunately even the du jour songs are fucking good and they're so funny yes they're so funny they're bops. they're bops and they're also like they play and again like it's a very 2001 joke and so it's not like great but like they play so directly into like all the jokes about boy bands at the time of that like they must all be gay and not realize it i mean this first song is just about butt stuff mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Oh man, all the Dujour bits are very. Wild. All the Dujour bits are so good, and also just like, of course, Breckin Meyer is in Dujour because in two thousand one, you couldn't, you somehow couldn't sign a movie with Seth Green and not get Breckin Meyer. Yeah, they're shrink wrapped together. Yeah, they came together as a package. Yeah, <laughs> the, and I think the thing that makes the songs work so well is that they aren't like outwardly like parodies. Or even really pastiches, they're they're such good examples of the thing they're supposed to be, which was you know teen rock of the late '90s. But they're also really sharp and have that extra layer to it without feeling like it's like you know a par- like an open parody song. You know, yeah, the Du Jour songs are slightly more open parodies. Mm-hmm. Then the Josie and the Pussycat songs. The Pussycat songs are pretty much just like pretty good songs. Yeah, they're pretty like, straight. Yeah, they were like, we understand this this ethos, and we're gonna hit it, you know. Yeah, there's a couple that are like, like um, money is a little on the nose, but it's yeah. also like underscoring an ep- it's also underscoring a scene that's incredibly on the nose. Yeah. So like, it works. Also, what rock and roll song about money hasn't been incredibly on the nose? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the song is literally uh, like, give me money. That's what I want. <laughs> uh, oh, so it's the song from Spinal the, Tap. The best, thing, the best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. <laughs> Pink Floyd could never. No. Yeah, Pretend to be Nice was my ringtone for many, many years. Um, I guess works. technically it probably still would be if I wasn't now too old to figure out how to get songs on my phone. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, I don't know. I remember I remember back when, you know, when you were like 15 and you would like download a ringtone and you're like, man, my cr- my crush hears it. And now if my phone ever makes a noise, I will throw it into the sea. Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Any I'm, noise. I'm vibrate till we all die. <laughs> people, not even that. People send me videos and I'm like, I for sure didn't watch this with sound. <laughs> if it doesn't have captions, fuck it. I do the same thing whenever my crush texts me back. I just throw my phone into the sea. <laughs> yeah. No. I can't ruin this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nope. Uh, if you had to pick a uh, uh, a favorite a favorite absurd detail about Josie before we before we wrap up here, what would be your favorite favorite selling point? How would you sell this movie to someone? I know I've spent a lot of time trying. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, that's tough. I guess the all the usual meanings at the beginning, even though they aren't the entire movie. <laughs> I really love when they're just like, especially like the, the one guy less uh, who's the only, you know, the only one who comes back at the end uh, where he's like, he clearly seems to like be very wounded that his bandmates are fighting. He's like, du jour means friendship. Du jour means family. And like just losing it. Uh, I thought that was really cute and good. Uh, I guess like. Uh, du jour means Ohana. Dujour means Ohana. It truly does. Um, but I guess if I was like trying to sell someone on it, I would say it's like a really fun critique of like the manufacture of culture. Uh, and it's more fun than it sounds like when I describe it like that. Uh, it's got a really great soundtrack. <laughs> oh, and like two small absurd things that I really love are one, uh, the little whipping noise when Fiona turns around with those like things on her. They didn't, they bothered to get like the sound effects of like, those wires whipping around as she turns around fast and the fact that behind the music is an op uh used to cover up all the times they've killed bands who decided to go against them that was Uh, so that was such a 90s joke it really was that and like serena altschul being part of the the plot yes (laughs) very very aced in amber right there I actually said out loud, Serena Elshul, I haven't heard that name in years. Yeah, you're like, damn, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> well, the second the MTV News logo popped up, I'm like, it's either going to be her or Kurt Loder. 
But Kurt Loder would be a little bit off game. But yeah, I can't anyway, cannot cannot more highly recommend this movie. But like, do not go into it thinking that you're going to be watching like another summer catch, because that ain't it. Yeah, no. Uh, this movie seems like it's it's in a kind of odd spot of like because I was I was gonna ask if you guys think this movie would be more effective on a first time viewing if you didn't know what the gag of it was like if it like if you just were like hey let's watch this Josie and the Pussycats movie with no other information versus hey the Josie and the Pussycats movie is on some next level shit you gotta watch this. Which, like, is great to know going in, but I feel like maybe does lessen the, like, oomph of it a little bit. Like, lessens the oomph because if you know it's coming, then the turn won't be as satisfying to you, like, realizing, oh, they're they're talking with us. Or or just, n- like, knowing going in kind of what the turn is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just curious if, it, if you guys think it would be more f- effective to wa- for a new person to watch it knowing that or not knowing that i don't know i think it's i i think it is worth setting the expectation with this movie because i do think that with the i i don't think you need to tell somebody the whole turn of it unlike what we just did but hey we've never said this was a spoiler free show sure. um <laughs> but i i think that it is important to at least set someone up with the context of like hey on its face this seems like a movie about a girl band and i'm telling you you, you need to you need to look at it a little more open than that. I promise. Like, like I think you need to at least set them up a little bit with that. This isn't going to be what you think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is about friendship. It is about like survive that friendship surviving stardom and all that jazz, but it is about du jour. Yes. Du jour, which does mean friendship. Uh, but yeah, like it is, uh, it is about those like things you'd expect, but also as you said, it, it executes it wildly differently and has this whole other thing going on. I feel like, if you don't set that expectation, someone might be like, whoa, I was like, they might f- not be feeling in the mood for this kind of movie almost, uh, which I mean, they're lost. But uh, I think it is worthwhile setting the expectation. Because this movie is very aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> like there's there's not a lot of breathing room in this thing. It moves so fast and everything is so keyed up the whole time. Like it's kind of a lot to take in. There's there's a lot happening all the time in this movie. And you know what, though? To its credit, like, yeah, there's a lot happening in this movie. I notice a new weird detail every single time I watch it. I notice a new thing. The more you're familiar with the movie, the more you can, like, have the luxury of, like, checking out what's going on in the background, which is just so much. They, like, the 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 message of this movie is told more through what's happening behind the action than the mm-hmm. actual action. No, behind the um, music. In a way that's just like really well done from a story and, um, you know, production design and like every aspect of this movie knew what it was in a way that's just like really smart and tight. Yeah, I feel like so much of it probably came out of thinking about that moment uh, relatively early on when Alan Cummings, his car is like stopped as the pussycats are running from the cops or whatever. And you know, someone's lowering that number one band in the world sign. Paradise by the Dashboard Life. Paradise by the Dashboard Lights is playing. And he holds up the jewel case to frame them. Great use of a music cue. Yes. And so I feel like that's where they're like, okay, this is what we're building the movie around. Like, this is the concept. This is the this is the visual. Uh, yeah. No, I really like it. Yeah. One of, the, one of the only music cues in the movie that's like not one of the original songs. And it's used so perfectly. <laughs> Paradise by the dashboard light. He almost hits them with the car and then holds up the jewel case, which I mean, that's also just like, uh, like some part of me too. There's like a nostalgia part of me. That's like that, that thing that I feel like kids watching this in 2021 is like, what the fuck is this? You know, in the, in the record store with the DJ in the record store, like they used to have in the old, like, um, in the old like virgin mega stores where there was like a dj booth in the record store and i'm like people who have never who didn't live through that period of time are probably like what the fuck is this it's just like so perfectly 2001 it just feels like walking through an fye 20 minutes before the mall was about to close (laughs) yeah kind of i haven't been able to figure out through all the reading and and looking uh into this movie that i've done I still can't figure out how we got to them doing a Josie and the Bussycats movie. Like, 
every interview I've read, everything I've seen, it like it was just sort of willed into existence. There doesn't, I haven't seen like that, like Archie was trying to make a push into films or something like that. Like it's it, it seems like it just kind of emerged from Zeus's head. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to guess, I'd say probably like Spice World did well enough where people were like, well, what what can we do with the IP that we have access to? Uh, and then yeah. maybe uh, that got obviously very differently taken. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Ebert actually compared this to Spice World in his review. He gave both films half a star. And Jeez. the he basically said, this thing's as good and smart as Spice World. And that's not very good and smart at all. Which, like... I usually give Ebert a little more credit. Actually, that's not true. Spice World is incredibly good in, in smart, and I will fight someone about that. Roger Ebert, wrong again. Yep. The other, I mean, we didn't, we talked in passing about them, but I don't know if you knew this, Brandon. So the, the writers of this, um, ha, Kaplan, Harry Kaplan, maybe? and uh, somebody, Harry Elfont Deborah, and Deborah Kaplan. Yes, Harry yes. Elfont and Deborah Kaplan. They also wrote and directed Can't Hardly Wait. I did know that. Yeah, so like, they were also known for the kind of teen movie that people were expecting this to be. Mm -hmm. That's why, which is like one of the important parts to think about. Yeah, definitely. And my understanding is that like this movie maybe kind of like froze their careers, you know, cause like people, you know, weren't expecting this and then it was really not liked the box office or critically. Yeah. They, they kind of touched on that in passing in the interview I saw with them. They were just like, yeah. And then uh, nobody wanted to work with us after this. <laughs> No one understood. Before we get into your uh, your comic scam, the, the last thing I want to bring up about the film is Eugene Levy's cameo, which of oh, yes. all of the people to have pop up in this movie, I was not expecting to see late 90s Eugene Levy and his, like, American Pie Prime. <laughs> and that, like, the gag is him going, hi, I'm Eugene Levy. Like, like anyone who was watching this movie in the late 90s would know who Eugene Levy is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of people know who Eugene Levy is now because of Schitt's Creek, but even six years ago, yeah. that would be like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, because like, I, I doubt there was a lot of crossover between the SCTV audience and the Josie and the Pussycats audience. <laughs> well, it was filmed entirely in Vancouver, so. That's true. So there you go. Uh, so Kim, let's uh, let's talk about your your uh, your comics work uh, with the old Pussycats. Sure. How how did that come about? I took a comic book writing class in grad school when I was going for fiction writing, uh, and I took that with my aforementioned former housemate and current friend and former co-writer Marguerite Bennett, uh, and she had started to get some work through DC and some other places, and Archie approached her to write Josie, and uh, we had like worked together on like a few like you know basically just the way you do with your friends sometimes you like have someone edit something you wrote or like look it over or whatever so she like understood what my sensibilities were in comics and also you know had lived with me so knew that like not to get too far up my own ass but knew that i was a kind of funny that she appreciated uh and so she was like hey i can't really take on this project on my own but like i've got a great co-writer that i could work with and so she reached out to me and at first She's like, oh, do you want to help me with this book? I thought she was saying like, oh, like, could you like look over some scripts and, you know, not get credited, which is fine again, because like, that's what you do with friends. That happens. Uh, yeah. And uh, then she's like, no, I want you to co-write it. Uh, and I was like, oh, awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, weird that you'd even ask. Uh, nice. But yeah. That's awesome, uh, though. The, guy, the yeah. guys at Archie are great, too. Yeah, definitely. Alex Segura is a real nice dude. Uh, Ron, I'm a huge fan of Ron. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and like the way we did it for the first five issues was we'd literally have like a Google doc open and uh, we'd, you know, have it blocked out or like we'd have it basically outlined. And if I saw Marguerite's cursor move past a joke and I didn't hear her laugh because we were on Skype at the time, uh, I would just rewrite the joke. Uh, I needed to make sure <laughs> that at least I could get my most sympathetic audience to go. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. How long did you guys uh, write? for it we did nine issues initially we were hoping yeah you guys did like the first arc right yeah we did uh one through five and then six through nine originally we were hoping to get uh to ten and like between <laughs> between you me and your listeners uh the and i think i've, I've 
what are they going to do fire me um but uh hmm. there was there were plans to go to space uh like they had in like the 70s and 80s cartoon uh for the two-part finale in nine and ten then they're like we can get you through to nine and i was like okay then in that case we're going to japan and we're taking gundams nice uh, we can't go to space i'm getting gundams uh yeah it was rad and yeah so nine issues from 2016 to like mid to late 2017 yeah that's very that's good. not that's not bad for a monthly comic to be totally honest yeah yeah as, as someone who works in comics i'm like that's a respectable run for a monthly book especially as a relatively fresh person of course i had marguerite to elevate everything which is nice <laughs> yeah that that whole uh archie relaunch all of the books that came out of that have been so good phenomenal yeah the jughead series was like those first couple arcs with chip Zdarsky, ryan north writing uh were so 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 good oh the good old chipper Oh, yeah, I forgot he did a bunch of those. Well, Cam, thank you so much for uh, dejourning us uh, this morning. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. <laughs> Hell Fuck. yeah. It means anything you want it to mean. It does mean anything you want it to mean. Much like Smurf, dejour means <laughs> means anything you want it to. <laughs> so if, if anyone wanted to dejour you on the internet um, and find more of your content, how could they do that? Yeah, you can do your me at Stop Grammar Time, uh, all one word, uh, on either Instagram or Twitter. Uh, and yeah, those are the best places to find me. Which I love, by the way, as a name. Thank you so much. Very happy. Uh, as a former copy editor, I'm glad to have it. Thank you for having me. Uh, sorry my voice is ruined by my baseboard heat, but uh, it was great talking with you guys. Thank you again. That's all right. Hey, I mean, as a former proofreader, my... Uh... My username is just the same username I've always had, but if you go to my Twitter page, which nobody ever goes directly to people's Twitter pages, but if they do, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the header on my Twitter page is still a screen cap from a text message I had where I asked my best friend if he was with me at the bar when I got in an argument with the bartenders about possessive plurals. Amazing. <laughs> so there you go. That's all you need to know me about me in one screen cap. <laughs> Texting someone at 12.15 a.m. Hey, were you with me the time I got in an argument with the bartenders about possessive plurals that's fantastic we need to become better friends <laughs> so there you go that is amazing brandon what about you is it time to lie about your ep oh um <laughs> yes Damn. it is so if you want to find uh more of my mess you can find me at hell yes brandon uh, all across the cyber void um my ep hat and a hat is uh now being sent around to be mixed and like realistically i want to have it out by the end of March um Inkblot is on YouTube and SoundCloud uh you can find us you know wherever Inkblots are sold um we've got some live sets up we've got our wild cover of uh Tom Waits's Little Drop of Poison um we uh, if you go to brandonbeck.bandcamp.com, you can find uh, the single version of We Never Should Have Banged, the Fleetwood Mac pastiche I wrote for uh, Happy Sappy, uh, which by just Meatstone Flack. Yeah, by Meatstone Flack. Very good. Because, uh, I, I mean, who, I don't, you don't need to make a parody name not deeply lazy. <laughs> um <laughs> And it's okay. The art I made for it is also deeply lazy, but I'm very proud of it. Oh, it's so it's so funny. It's just the cover to rumors, but uh, the but Stevie but it's just and, the uh, stool. Yeah, it's just the stool <laughs> uh, <laughs> from uh. the album Rumors Two Regrets. Um, and, and I I think that's uh, I think that's it for uh, for for me. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, you can find me everywhere online at, at bscores with an underscore at the end, B-E-E-S-C-O-R-E-S -E -E underscore. But the easiest way to find me would be to follow the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at, at IntuitPod, and you can follow us on Instagram at hashtag IntuitPod, which uh, are all posted from my account because I was too lazy once upon a time to make an Instagram account for this show. And so now we just don't have one, and I'm fine with that. We're also on Facebook if you get any mileage out of that. Uh, but yeah we are all over the place uh we hope that you are subscribed to us if you are listening if uh you're listening for the first time i hope you go subscribe to us uh even if you're a long time listener uh if you wouldn't mind maybe checking into apple one day leaving us a review that would actually very much help us uh you know get more listeners on the show and be able to keep doing this because you know we do this out of the you know 
boredness of our hearts or whatever but it'd be nice if we uh could actually do a little more with it and uh (laughs) you leaving us a review would help uh other than that all i got is thank you as always to kaylin west and tiny stills for the use of our theme song starting over is a lot like giving up off the album falling is like flying that's all i got uh we'll be back next week with a show on something i don't know i haven't booked it yet let's see what happens (laughs) well cam thank you for joining us today thank you for having me you're just really gonna milk this oh you you did you know i am all day this is gonna be my whole day now yep you do know i am condolences condolences all that being said podcast did over